0: Let's face it, Brit happens. Success is rarely a straight line. It's a journey with many twists, turns, potholes, and unwelcome detours. The secret, however, lies in how we react. Keep listening to learn how to effectively respond to life's curveballs, improve your resilience, and how winners pivot from setbacks to success. I'm your host, Brittany Sharpton. Let's get started. I can honestly say that I've never done a podcast that I did not enjoy, but there have definitely been some standouts, and this episode with my guest, Thomasina Williams, founder of Sankofa Legacy Advisors, is one of them. Anyone who knows me, even remotely well, knows that I'm super inquisitive, very curious, and I absolutely love to learn. I gained so much knowledge in just this little bit of time, and I truly hope that you all enjoy it and learn as much as I did. After a stellar 20-year career of groundbreaking accomplishments as an attorney, and six years of making philanthropic investments at the second largest foundation in the United States, the Ford Foundation, my guest, Thomasina Williams, realized her personal passion and professional mission to help others avoid the loss of wealth and fracturing of relationships that befell her family. Thomasina facilitates and coaches business-owning individuals and families to build stronger relationships and make better decisions so their families flourish and businesses thrive across generations.
1: Thank you, first of all, Brittany, for having me. It's so wonderful to spend this time with you. So how did I get into this industry? My answer to that succinctly is by the grace of God. (laughs) There is no (laughs) other way. I did not even know that this field actually existed. Uh, As you just referred to, I worked with the Ford Foundation for a while, When I finished my second contract with the Ford Foundation, I decided I wanted to do something different. And I thought it might involve working with individuals around their philanthropic giving. Lots of people uh, who I know are concerned, for example, about things like education. And every person I know who's interested in education, has some sort of scholarship fund or does something to support young people in their education, which I think is absolutely great. Mm -hmm. But what I say to people is if you really want to have a systemic impact, if you want to be able to support more than just one child and in a big way, we need to focus on also investing philanthropic dollars in policy change. Mm -hmm. And My idea was to help people do philanthropic investing to do just that, because most people don't know what the opportunities are for philanthropic investing in policy change through nonprofits. What I discovered was that I also needed to have something that was more appealing to the individuals themselves giving money for philanthropic purposes in and of itself didn't seem to do it. So I started researching and I came across a study which looked at the fact that 70 to 90% of all families lose their wealth by the end of the third generation. Mm -hmm. And what I found was really intriguing is this particular study also went on to try to understand why. If people are doing all the estate planning they've been advised to do, they've got the best uh, estate planning lawyers money can buy. They've got top-notch financial investors. They're crossing all the T's and doing all, dotting all the I's what they've been traditionally told. And what this 20-year study found was that the reasons families were losing their wealth had nothing to do with these external forces involving their professional advisors. It was all about what was happening within the family. The family dynamics were the challenges that families were grappling with. And no lawyer and no wealth advisor is going to help you deal with that. I was really impressed by the high, high degree of intentionality Mm -hmm. that families of a certain financial uh, level were using to invest their philanthropic dollars in a way that also helps to strengthen their families. So while we might see someone's name on a building, uh, the family has gone through, in many cases, a process of the family aligning around their values of the family figuring out how do we talk to each other and make difficult decisions if one person wants to invest in the environment and somebody else over here wants to invest in healthcare, how do you decide those kinds of issues? And it helps people figure out how do I do things like read a balance sheet? Mm -hmm. How do I read financial statements? How do I figure out where to invest my philanthropic dollars while I'm waiting on figuring out what the the, uh, particular organization or sector is that I'm going to invest in? And again, I was just really intrigued by the height of intentionality that ultra high net worth families were using to make those kinds of decisions when all we see in the public eye is the name on the building. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. So I I started researching that field and came across something called the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations proverb, which is basically the phenomena by which families are losing their wealth. And I had an epiphany. I realized, oh my gosh, my own family. Is a part of those statistics of the 70 to 90% that lose their wealth during generational transitions. And moreover, it's not just my family that has had and is still having challenges, it's families in general. It's actually pretty normal. And not only in the US, it's actually a global phenomenon. There's some iteration of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in virtually every part of the globe. And I was just, Amazed by that. It was a real eye opener for me. And then I realized that not only is this a fairly common phenomenon, there actually is a professional field of people who can work with your family to, in my case, course correct. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if you uh, have been fortunate enough not to have lost everything yet, to figure out how do we hold on to it, to the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh generation and beyond. And I decided to go all in on trying to figure out what is that puzzle, how, how to do this so that I could help my own family course correct and then be a resource for other families as well.
0: So what exactly is the, the short sleeve to short sleeve? I'm thinking shirts. What, what's the connection? It's shirt sleeves. Shirt sleeves. Okay, because I'm, I'm trying to put the analogy together and that I'm, I'm still trying to- So
1: essentially, essentially what it means is, and if I said short, I misspoke, I apologize. It's oh. shirt sleeves. And okay. essentially what it means is the first generation starts out with basically nothing. Okay. And either literally or metaphorically rolls up their shirt sleeves and gets to work, okay. oftentimes building a business. Okay. And they have family members who tend often to work in that business. Mm-hmm. The second generation grows up in a lifestyle of luxury, uh, doesn't really have to worry about money, really. And everything is great. The third generation comes along. And if the family has not been very intentional Mm -hmm. in cultivating their family capital, their human capital and passing on those values and helping the third generation to appreciate you have a great lifestyle now, but we didn't always have all of this Mm -hmm. and understanding what it took to generate the wealth in the first place understanding that their role is that of steward. They're entitled to enjoy it to the max while they're here, but they also have an obligation Mm -hmm. to future generations so that future generations aren't having to start over. And if people are not very intentional in doing that, Which most families aren't because no one is talking to us about that part. They're only talking to us about building the money part. Then families end up losing their wealth and they're back to shirt sleeves again. So in Saudi Arabia, they say father started out on a camel, Mm -hmm. son drives a Mercedes, and the grandson and great-grandson are back to camel, Okay, if that That illustrates the point. more intensely. So it's not all about the money. We think it's all about the money. You need to obviously have the money. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. If you want to build generational wealth, you've Mm -hmm. also got to focus on the relationship side of the equation.
0: What did you bring from your former professional life to now your business?
1: I brought all of me. One of the things that I love about the work that I do now is that it really is a great opportunity to blend that kind of strategic left brain, very analytical side of me with the side of me that I use more in philanthropy, which is more interrelationship building. It's, It's blending the head and the heart. And in our society, we focus so much on the headpiece or on the quantitative piece, on the numbers. Mm -hmm. And we don't focus as much on the qualitative piece, in part because it's actually the harder skills. (laughs) They're not soft skills. There's hard when it comes to the the quantitative side, the financial side, and there's harder, (laughs) which are the people skills. I, I think for most business people, certainly for myself, once you get your business going and have access to capital, mm-hmm. the biggest challenge really is the people side of the business. Absolutely. Finding the right people, putting those people in the right position at the right time with the right skill set. If you don't have the right people in the right positions, your business is not going to be successful for very long. Mm-hmm. We get that when we're talking about our businesses. Somehow we miss that when it comes to our families. It's the same thing. One of the analogies I use to try to help people appreciate what I'm I'm saying is, if you think about in a business context, Mm -hmm. certainly businesses of any size are all in on leadership development for their individual employees. Helping them to reach their highest potential because that's going to be a payoff for the business. So the business invests in that. By the same token, the business also invests heavily in team building for those individuals, aligning them around a shared purpose and moving forward in the same direction. We think that's great. And we will say if you don't invest in your people, your business won't be around very long. Right. If we take those same individuals Mm -hmm. and we put them in a family context and talk about the need for some support with team building, with aligning around a shared purpose, with individuals needing help figuring out what is my purpose, what is my role, all of a sudden our society labels that as, quote, dysfunctional, Mm -hmm. or somehow we need mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. No, it's the same people they're just in a different context and one of my goals is to help people realize that the challenges that we have in our families are very normal mm-hmm. it's human behavior the biggest challenge is we haven't been taught how to deal with it how to how to address it right differences are a part of who we are
0: right and and i i found particularly with with prominent or wealthy families that have a big name they probably tried to hide that aspect because like you said it's a stigma surrounding being dysfunctional or you don't want it to get out that this family member doesn't talk to the next do you call yourself like a
1: therapist for the financial planning or what what would you no okay i am decidedly not a therapist okay. i have no aspirations to be a therapist and what i want people to appreciate is you don't have to have some kind of a professional degree to figure out how to be in better relationship with yourself, understand what's important to me, to be in better relationship with my family mm-hmm. and to be in better relationship with money. That's another huge piece of the puzzle that we have all kinds of challenges in our society around people's relationship and how they deal with money. It's really about understanding human behavior and the degree of sensitivity we have to each other as humans, and that's elevated when we're talking about family because of the emotional component to it. Right, okay. And you're absolutely right that people don't talk about these issues. I mean, you know, I grew up at a time when uh, you don't, quote, air dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about family business out in the streets, as right. as you would say. Right. Um, I think that is another one of those kind of taboo subjects. It's really fascinating to me. We don't want to talk about challenges, but everybody, I can assure you, everybody has them, my family included. I am mm-hmm. by no means... Want us anyone to suggest (laughs) that simply because I do this work means that I don't have my challenges and my family doesn't have its challenges, Mm -hmm. and again, people are sitting behind closed doors, and this work that I do is not really readily available to people because it's not known. Right. Uh, One of the other pieces of my biography is I worked with Wells Fargo Private Bank. I had the good fortune to be the first person in the country that does what I do, who Wells Fargo private bank hired to come Mm in-house and create a whole new line of business to support their ultra high net worth clients. My job was to focus on helping families work through the family dynamic issues, Mm -hmm. working alongside of the wealth advisor who's helping them to manage the money. Again, not an either or, but a both and. It was a brand new line of business. And by the time I got there, uh, I'd been hired. But bet- between the time of being hired and the time of actually starting, the bank decided that for a client, even a long standing client of the bank on the commercial side, mm-hmm. who might have hundreds of millions of dollars on business relationships, for that family to talk to me or anyone on my team, The family had to agree to create a $25 million relationship with my part of the bank. Forget the money you have over on the commercial side for your business. Mm -hmm. You've got to create a $25 million relationship in the private bank. And the private bank is the part of the bank that focuses on wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. It's not the red and yellow that people see in the neighborhood. It's totally different logo, totally different everything. My first day at work, I thought I was in the wrong place because there was no signage. You're just, if you're you know if you're supposed to be there. And if you have to ask what it is, that means you're in the wrong place. Okay, okay. So think about that. $25 million relationship with one part of one bank. And obviously there are not a lot of families in this country who can develop a $25 million relationship with one part of one bank. Right. That is the level... At which the kind of work that I do has been done historically. Mm -hmm. That's why the rest of us think that there's nothing we can do. It's just my crazy uncle is my crazy uncle or my sister's a pain in the butt just because that's who she is. And there's nothing we can do about that. It's absolutely not true. The challenge is that those of us who have a few resources don't know what Mm -hmm. we don't know. Right. And this field is one of the many things that we don't know. And part of my goal in starting Sankofa Legacy Advisors is to do what I call democratizing the space okay. to make the resources, the information available to families who can't afford to create a $25 million relationship with one part of one bank. Because on the relationship side of the ledger, the amount of money you have is really irrelevant. It's not about the financial assets. It's simply that the way that the field has evolved Mm -hmm. is that you have to be wealthy, for the most part, to be able to afford it. But if you have a little bit of money or no money at all, Mm -hmm. there are things you can do to strengthen your family. And if your goal is to make a bunch of money to help your family work together around that shared purpose to make that happen and then figure out how do we keep this thing going generation after generation, that's the key. How do we keep it going? To avoid the shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve. Exactly, to avoid going back to shirt sleeves. Or to a camel if you live in Saudi Arabia. (laughs)
0: Right, right. (laughs) I'm curious though, Thomasina, I know this is kind of sidebar. That is a very high uh, threshold for anyone. But in terms of black people, like what percentage of of black people were your clients or family?
1: Well, so I'm talking about a situation in one bank. Then the numbers are very few. There are black people who can do that people who have generational businesses, the yeah. families that I'm aware of, the uh, families now in the second or third generation of their business. And frankly, there are athletes and entertainers uh, who can do yeah. that yeah. as well. Okay. There are lots of very savvy uh, business folks out there in the Black community. We don't hear about them, Mm-hmm. Uh, very much, unless there is a problem, because again, people don't talk about these kinds of issues, generally speaking. But trust me, there, there are Black folks who fall in that category.
0: Oh, I, right. Absolutely. I was just still a very small percentage comparatively to the, the entire nation and population, but
1: which kind of... You know, okay. it depends on what you call wealthy. I mean, wealth is a relative term. First of all, I focus on financial wealth because wealth is actually multidimensional, our society is all in on the financial piece, but if you think about it, if at some point there wasn't some substantial human capital mm-hmm. and some intellectual capital, you wouldn't right. have made created the business or been in the right place to take advantage of an opportunity to get the financial capital. Right. We just again forget about these other pieces that are part of the 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 missing piece of the puzzle. I think for. For the most part. Wealth is a relative term, though. I mean, for some people, a million dollars is wealthy. For some people, 5 million, 10 million. You know, is that revenues? Is that um, if you're talking about a business or is that net worth? If you're talking about an individual, there are all kinds of ways uh, to define what is wealth. The bottom line is that as long as we live in a capitalist society, I, I'm sorry to say, they're always gonna be have-nots. It's just set up that way. Right, agreed. And if you look at even how taxes work in our society, ta- people get taxed on income. If you are taxed only on income, that is going to impact the people who have to get up and go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If But people who are Jeff Bezos, they say that uh, Amazon hasn't made a profit yet. Really? Right. So they don't have to pay corporate taxes. They're not being taxed on the wealth. That is why I go back to where I started with around the need for policy change.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: the, one of the, my explanations, an uh, example for people who are interested in education it's great to do scholarships. I'm not mad at scholarships, mm-hmm. but as long as public education in this society is funded based on property taxes, which it is in every state in the country and DC, mm-hmm. then the poor communities are always going to have crappy schools. Yep. It goes back to the structural pieces that we tend to miss. And that's why I initially got into this, uh, even investigating this work to figure out how can we help people appreciate the need to work on policy change while you're also helping individuals and trying to restructure the system Mm -hmm. and the context in which those individuals have to operate.
0: So if someone is watching or listening and they're like, this is amazing, which I'm 100% sure they're going to say, how do you vet your clients? Because I know you don't just take anyone. What's, what's the process to be a Sankofa legacy advisor client and work with the world famous Thomasine Cena Williams?
1: <laughs> the most important criteria for me, it's interesting. You asked this question because I, I, uh, was talking with someone just today, uh, this morning, and then yesterday, people are always trying to get me to say, well, what's the minimum amount of money somebody has to to have? That's all it's again, we go straight to the numbers. Mm -hmm. To me, eh, numbers are not really that important. It's numbers and wealth is relative. The most important thing for me is someone who has a willingness to do the work. Okay. Someone who is motivated to look at themselves and figure out what might I have contributed to this dispute with my brother? What is it that I can do differently to get to a different place with my mom or with my dad who may run the business? Mm -hmm. That to me, that's my criteria. Now the business people say I'm crazy, but you ask me what I base my decisions on, it's really people's willingness to do the work. And the work is about working on yourself. You know, it's interesting in our society, we want everybody else to change, but we stay the same because I'm perfect, right? I don't need to do anything. So that really is a lot of what I um, am dealing with. So I work specifically with families and business, I think, because businesses are, are the, the cornerstone of our economy, people mm-hmm. don't realize it. We tend to think, again, stereotypes. We tend to think about family businesses as being small mom and pops. Mm-hmm. The reality is that family businesses account for 54% of GDP in the U.S. and 70% globally. Mm-hmm. Family businesses account for 60% of all private sector jobs in the U.S., so family businesses are a big deal. They are a cornerstone of the economy and families are the bedrock of our society. So that's why I'm all in around families and families and business together. And that's frankly how most people in this society make money is through owning a business or owning right. uh, owning something. And I think it's that piece that we tend to, to lose sight of because- You know, again, stereotypes. Oh, you work with family businesses. When I say that, people roll their eyes. What I do is help families develop leaders Mm -hmm. leaders who are going to be able to grow the businesses that exist, create businesses that we haven't even thought about yet. Mm -hmm. Families who are developing leaders who are all in around building purposeful legacies. Mm -hmm. I say that everybody has a legacy. Everybody's going to leave a legacy. The question becomes how purposeful are you going to be in designing and building that legacy? Mm -hmm. And the all-important piece of leaders who are committed to sustaining Mm -hmm. generational wealth I'm going to get mine today, but I'm also thinking. I don't even have children. I haven't brought any children in this world. I got lots of nieces, nephews, grand or uh, godsons and goddaughters. I'm thinking about their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That's what I people who are focused on stewardship. Mm -hmm. are people who I want to work with and people, frankly, who my work resonates with. I've had, I had a woman tell me not too long, ago, she says, I don't care what my son does with the money. And I said, really? I said, okay, that's your right. I said, well, you have a granddaughter, right? Oh, yes. And she went on to tell me some little story. I said, well, what about your granddaughter? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, that's a different story. That's a different story. Which is my point. (laughs) You have, if you have to figure out if you care about your granddaughter and your granddaughter's granddaughter, Mm -hmm. there are some things that you need to do today to put in place to make sure there's something left for your granddaughter and your granddaughter's granddaughter and that's not just about the will and the trust it's also about the values it's also about people's self-worth around money it's also about knowing what their purpose is in the world and how they move forward and understanding that a part of their responsibility is to make sure there's something for the next generation I
0: absolutely agree. I feel like this can be helpful for couples, not necessarily. I know your focus is family businesses, but it seems like, well, I guess that's your family too. It's
1: it's it's actually it's not necessarily limited to businesses. I have a personal passion around business because that's how my grandparents built the wealth that they had, Uh that was unfortunately lost um, in the second generation. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, I mean, we think about businesses as operating businesses. Mm -hmm. A business. The Rockefellers are in business. They're in the business of managing their money. (laughs) They don't have an operating business today. Yes. A foundation, you know, a family can have a philanthropic foundation Mm -hmm. and the business can be around managing that philanthropic foundation. So it's not always an operating business. It could be a piece of real estate. It could be a family vacation home. It's a shared asset. That is the key. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that people don't think about oftentimes is if you look at, for example, the Rockefellers, very wealthy people, ultra wealthy people own a significant part of their assets jointly the money is tied up in that operating business and stock in the business they have family trust they have family offices a family office is a group of people who do nothing but take care of the business of that family manage that family's money that is a business although it's not an operating business that's delivering goods or services so if we think more broadly about what it means to be in business Mm -hmm. i I would absolutely the work applies uh the principles the strategies are helpful for any and every family if you are an executive who has huge stock options you are your family's business. If you're an athlete or entertainer, generally speaking, there are a whole bunch of family members on the payroll. That means (laughs) that you are the business. You are the operating business. So Thomasina, you are excellent at solving
0: or helping to resolve other people's challenges. But like you noted and very transparent, none of us are immune from our own, so would you mind sharing a time or two or an instance or two in your personal or professional life where you've had to overcome an unexpected setback, but you turned that stumbling block into a stepping stone
1: you're absolutely right i'm not immune by any stretch of the imagination uh, as as my grandmother used to say you can't get out of get out of this world alive <laughs> so um Probably the, I would say, first thing that comes to mind around challenges, I started uh, a law firm in Miami. I left the big firm, had a great time at the big firm, great ride. I was, uh, in retrospect, I think I was burned out. But at the time, I thought I was bored. I needed something to stimulate my creative juices. So I thought, why not started my own firm and have to feed myself and a bunch of other people. So I started a firm with a couple of people in Miami. We uh, were written up in the Miami Herald business section. You know, we we're supposed to be the first uh, all black firm that focused on corporate clients, all of that high expectations, lots of energy, motivation, blessed to have a great client base. And it didn't work. Uh, it didn't work out. I, I, distinctly remember when I made the decisions like I've got to go something's got to give uh I'm either going to jail or going to the crazy house and neither one of it (laughs) neither extreme are worth it seriously um I it it was very vivid I had a dream one night and it scared me frankly and I just like you know what I got to do something different here Mm -hmm. and it was difficult because I was uh, single and I was a partner at a big law firm. I, I, you know, candidly, I had a bunch of money. I had more money than my partners did. Um, So, The credit we used to get our firm credit cards was my personal credit. The firm credit card was tied to my personal credit. Mm -hmm. Um, I also had good relationships. And I went to talk to a a local banker, a gentleman named Bill Allen. Uh, May his soul rest in peace. He's long since passed on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told Bill that I wanted to start my own firm. And I was going to need a line of credit. And I had spent weeks before that, me and my partners drafting this business plan. I had a copy of my little business plan. And uh, he says, oh, that's great. How much money do you think you need? Uh Oh, no business plan, no nothing. He just gave me a line of credit, gave us the firm a line of credit because he knew me and believed in me. Mm -hmm. You talk about mentors and people who've helped us along the way um so i had a lot riding on this financially people other people were depending on me and it was really difficult decision to say i'm out mm-hmm. uh and, but i did because i needed to for my own sanity quite mm-hmm. frankly And uh, it ended up being tough because I, you know, I obviously needed to make sure that all that money was paid back that we had borrowed to build the firm because it was my personal credit and I needed to continue on, I started over again Mm -hmm. uh, on my own with a couple of associates. I have, wanted to make sure that we paid that line of credit as well, that people on our, on, you know, were taking care of all of the expenses and liabilities. And I started over. Um, it was hard because mm-hmm. I put a bunch of money into it. So I didn't have the same uh, level of financial stash that I had starting out. It was an important lesson for me, though. I realized that you know, people oftentimes say, well, I could never do that. Like, I, I couldn't just walk away because there is so much at stake. And I'm like, well, you know, yes, I can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we, could, we always have choices.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's always, always a choice. The question becomes, am I willing to pay the consequences of the choices that I make? And I made the choice that it was best for me to walk away from that situation. And even though it was tough for me for a while financially, I was willing to pay those consequences. And in the end, uh, certainly for me, I think it was the right decision to make. Uh, I think it ended up being the right decision for everyone in in the long run. So I would say starting out that firm, a lot riding on it. A lot of excitement, momentum, really smart people, uh, good people. It just didn't work out as a business relationship.
0: Okay. And not only the financial aspect, but you are obviously accomplished and achieving type of person. So it probably affected your ego as well, I would think.
1: Uh, You know, that's interesting. Um, One of my other mentors uh, has been still is H.T. Smith. And he and I had an interesting conversation about that. Uh, he says, I know you, you you hate to give up, you hate to fail. But <laughs> candidly, it was no, it wasn't really, really? about the ego for me. Um, because ego is not why I did it in the first mm-hmm. place. So the fact that it didn't work out disappointed, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I I wouldn't say that ego played into um that particular decision for me. One of the mantras that I live by is if I'm not having fun, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing to the point that I'm all in on it, Mm -hmm. I need to do something else. And in the beginning, it was fun. It was exciting. You know, again, smart people um, doing good work for our clients, making salaries available to a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there got there, there came a time when I had an internal conflict okay. an internal disconnect around what was going on. And that to me was more important than am I going to, you know, fortunately I didn't have to worry about kids going to college and that kind of thing. So I can start over, mm-hmm. you know, financial, the financial piece was hard, but that wasn't my biggest concern. I always say, you know, I could work. The graveyard shift at Denny's if I have to. I'm not adverse to to hard work and I can always figure out a way to make money. That wasn't it. I just, there was a discomfort that I didn't even want to get up and go to work in the morning. Mm. that's crazy. If my name is on the door right. and some people take the position that, you know, you have to just go along with it or things are going to get better. I tried all of that. Believe mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I candidly wasn't as mature in some ways as I am now didn't have the availability of certain strategies and ways that I might've dealt with things differently mm-hmm. from a business standpoint, as well as a personal standpoint. But I was so unhappy, um, miserable, and just, you know, my, again, my theory, life is too short to exist like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I did have a choice. People say, well, you couldn't do that. Well, watch me. <laughs> um, so I just, I started over. But it was more about the qualitative pieces, kind of like we're talking about quantitative financial, qualitative family relationships. For me, it's always more about what is true to me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't being true to myself to continue to exist Mm. in an environment where I was that unhappy. So I left
0: the emphasis of happiness. And it seems like you're extremely passionate about what you're doing now and helping others with the generational wealth and sustainability. So I think as cliche as it sounds, everything happens for a reason. Yeah,
1: exactly. I, you know, again, I I live by my own standards. (laughs) I have never been one trying to prove anything to anybody. Um, that's just kind of how I roll. Those kind of things are not that important to me. I remember when I became a partner at the big law firm and people, I had a conversation with a Black lawyer there in Miami uh-huh. who was just amazed that I was still the same Thomasina. <laughs> like, what would change? I Yeah. You know, they, frankly, being a shareholder in a big law firm is liability. That <laughs> That's the only thing that really changed. Um someone else told me I, I used I when I came to Miami I was driving a Volkswagen Jetta. And uh one of the partners at the firm said, Well, aren't you gonna get a new car? I said, No, why I don't need a new car. There's nothing wrong with my car. Well, you're a partner now. Well, is a firm gonna give me a new car as part of that? I'll be happy to drive it off the lot, but no, I'm keeping my Volkswagen Jetta. Thank you very much.
0: Those <laughs> kind of things, you know, party. I'm
1: not trying to keep up with the Joneses. And that's probably why you are where you are now. So that's an important think, You know, like I said, by the grace of God, everything happens for a reason. I went on to start another firm. Actually, we, we different people kind of went in different ways. So it actually was multiple opportunities for people to work in a law firm. I then uh, had an opportunity to do something different. I felt a calling at some point that there was something else I should be doing besides practicing law. And a lot of people said, well, you, you can't leave Miami. You can't do something other than law. Like we need you. You, you can't, you can't watch me. I'm gone. And it, you know, it was divine intervention. I mean, I think this is a path that I was led to find this work. It was not something I even knew existed. Mm -hmm. So clearly I wasn't looking for it. So Thomasina
0: growing up, were you always, like, what type of student were you and what was your household like? You have an accomplished family and, and siblings. Were your parents really strict? it Were Was, like, straight A's just commonplace? Or did you just evolve into the genius and entrepreneur that you are now?
1: Well, first of all, um, you talked about uh, my siblings and how we're all accomplished. Again, my family is no different from any other family the two brothers that you know of and that most people in your audience might know are very uh high achievers. I also have another brother who most people in Miami have never heard of or met who is just as bright, just as talented as the three of us, grew up in the same two-parent household, went to the same Catholic uh elementary school, who never who doesn't have a high school degree. Okay. It wouldn't even go back to get his JD. So again, my family spans the Mm. spectrum, just like other families. One of the principles I've learned about in the work that I do, um, something called family systems. And oftentimes in a family, you will have lots of high achievers. And then one person who is not. Mm. And people tend to uh, label that person, their negative connotations, But if you understand family systems theory, then you understand that it's not unusual for that kind of scenario. And what happens is oftentimes one person, one child, for whatever reason, has more of a sensitivity around absorbing anxieties and tensions. So that person, all of that is absorbed into that one person, Mm. which then makes space for the, For the others to go off and do their thing. So I want to be clear about that. I I, um, I love, all, and they're all brothers. I love all of my brothers, but they're all very different from each other. And from me, I might add. Um, all, I would say very talented, but not all high achievers by the standards that we use. Every, not all of them are, are rocket scientists and uh, Harvard MBAs. Okay. I have one who didn't make it out of high school.
0: Or maybe, you say, um, like you said, wealth is
1: relative.
0: Achievement can be relative too.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, Which I say, he's very talented. He yeah. just doesn't have the kind of education and the accoutrements that go with that <laughs> in our society. Okay. Um, so your question about my household. So my my mom uh, is one of eight. She was the only one of her siblings to go to college. Um, she has a, a master's degree in education. My dad was an avid, avid reader. Uh grew up with the old Encyclopedia um, Britannica or World Book, World Book Encyclopedia. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to grow up in a household with your mom as a school teacher and not be all about books and reading. At least in my household, okay. uh, that was hard to do. So it was just natural to read, to study, to be interested in things in the world um also you know I grew up at a time I'm a product of the 60s I integrated my elementary school I was the first black girl to graduate from my private high school and in that climate you know we were told I was told I'm representing the race We had to work harder than the white kids. We had to be better than the white kids because people were going to assume that we only got to where we were because of some affirmative action or somebody, you know, accidentally let us in. So hard work from the standpoint of academics was something that was natural in my household just because of who my parents were Mm -hmm. um, and are. Uh, and I, I, I love books. I mean, you, I could be transported to other places and spaces and um, learn things in books that I weren't in my surrounding. I always knew that the world was bigger than my little community. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go out exploring some of the things I'd read about in the books. So it really was a question of, frankly, my parents being strong role models. Okay. And you do what you see around you growing up. My my father also was a very um, active, uh, uh, politically active. Mm-hmm. He was a union man. I remember, you know, family vacations going to the national union meetings. My father was a letter carrier. He worked for the post office, but he was an avid activist when it came to unionism. Uh, People may not know this, but there was a, uh, people think about the Montgomery bus boycott. There was also a long boycott in Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. My parents met at Florida A&M and my father was a veteran um, and of the Korean War and through his veteran benefits, you know was able to frankly live a better lifestyle than college kids and he had a car, one of the few black folks that had a car and was one of the major organizers in that Tallahassee boycott. so the activism was just kind of in my blood. My mom uh, volunteered for political campaigns you know when I was growing up it 's the role models, the environment in which Um, I grew up, I think, is is how I came to be interested in academics and books and curious and also politically active.
0: Now I see where the push for policy change in that part of you stems from. I think it's always interesting to see people's background because there's always some connection.
1: Always. Yeah. I mean, that's people don't realize how much our families of origin impact our lives and the things that we choose to do. And and no matter how we sometimes try to get away from that, it's there. It's in the blood.
0: (laughs) Right. It's in the blood. So environment, um, innate capability and your family are crucial. The fire round, and this will be super quick, is I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you have to blurt out the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Okay. What was the last thing that you ordered on Amazon? I don't keep these kinds of <laughs> details in my head, but the first thing that comes to mind, I think I ordered uh, some kind of iron pills for my my eighty nine year old mother. She'll be eighty nine on on November seventh. Oh, happy iron pills for my mom.
0: Okay. If you had a 100% chance of succeeding, what would you attempt to do?
1: I would do what I'm doing now, which is building a program working specifically with women Mm -hmm. uh, in families that own businesses, helping them to take their leadership and their legacy to the next level.
0: Okay. And hopefully we can lure you down back to Miami for some, some event. I've been thinking about this as we're talking.
1: People need I that. still have my house in Miami. Oh. I, I haven't been there in quite some time, but I come to Miami from time to time. Oh, I, oh, so hopefully you'll pop in before 2022. It's right down the street from where you all started out really? uh, in El Portel. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I still have my same. You guys moved to the big house. <laughs> I still have my same little house. It's just me. Oh, but now El Portel is like booming. El Portel has been booming. I, oh. When I first left and went to New York in 2005, people were sending me letters all the time wanting to buy my house. I have the same thing happening now. El Portel's on fire. Right. But, you know, I may, that may be my little retirement spot. Who knows? So I, I hold on to it. It's been a good investment.
0: Awesome investment. And lastly, Thomasina. How much of your success would you attribute to God's grace and or luck and how much to your hard work?
1: 150% to God's grace. I think it's all a mixture, but to be born into the family that I was born into, even the branch of the family that I was born into, that's God's grace. Oh, God's grace, the way I look at it.
0: You answered that quickly, 150%.
1: Have no question in my mind about that. I'm very
0: clear. So how can people get in contact with you, Thomasina, if they want to hear you speak, hope to make your client list, or just find out more information about you and your firm?
1: Probably the easiest way is just to go to LinkedIn. Okay. and type in my name, my uh, email address is there under the contact information. Not many people think to look there, but it's there. <laughs> uh, my email address is kind of long. I'll give that to people, but it's th Williams okay. at Sankofa Legacy Advisors. And Sankofa is spelled S-A-N-K-O-F, as in Frank, A, Legacy advisors and I spell advisors with an o.com. I've
0: always wondered the difference between the o and the e with advisors.
1: Well some people would say that uh, folks in British version tends to use more of an e but I've seen people in the U.S. also use e. I prefer the o. Okay it
0: goes with Sankofa the roundedness with the logo I think.
1: Good point. I did not select that option for that reason, but it works. Right.
0: This was outstanding, um, Thomasina. It it exceeded my expectation. I knew it would be awesome. So thank you so much for your time and educating me more. I learned more about you, your family, how you got into this. I'm hoping to become a client. That's why I'm asking these questions selfishly for myself, too. So.
1: I I'll let you know about my new program. It's called The FEW, and okay. FEW stands for Family Enterprise Women. It's I did see that on your website. Experience. Wait, sorry, I cut mm-hmm. you off. What does FEW stand for again? Family Enterprise Women. It's a, a program that people can enroll in if they like. It's a program in development. So if you go to the website, there is a, a tab there where you can okay. sign up and you'll receive information updates about it. We'll be launching it at the beginning of 2022. Okay. And the goal really is to help women uh, define and up-level their leadership and their legacy. Women are always, I shouldn't say always generalizing, but in my experience, women tend to be, in many respects, frankly, the glue that holds our families together. Um, I don't know a single mother or even people like myself who've never given birth to children, but mother, have mothered a lot of people who don't want the best for the next generation and aren't willing to sometimes do what those folks themselves won't do for themselves. So I want to help them in that regard, but also to focus on themselves. Self-care, I think we need to prioritize more because like they tell us on the airplane, if we don't put on our own oxygen mask first, if something happens to us, Mm -hmm. then that's obviously not doing a service to the people that we were trying to help either. So again, in my world, I'm a big both and kind of person. I can be strong in who I am, be clear about who I am and the legacy I want for myself Mm -hmm. and also work towards furthering the legacy for my family.
0: Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode of Brit Happens. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn or Google. You can also find me online at www.brithappens.com and on social media, Instagram or Facebook at Brittany Sharpton. See you next time.